culture to politics. This is the Michael Medved Show. And another great day, another great week, in fact, in this greatest nation on God's green earth. But with a great nation, it's also a sour and angry nation, at least according to a big new poll from the National Opinion Research Center. What does that mean exactly? Well, they draw the conclusion. It means that the Democrats have very, very difficult time uh, looking forward to actually holding the Senate, holding the House of Representatives, avoiding a tidal wave election in favor of Republicans, and that means generally in favor of conservatives. So what exactly is uh, this election going to turn on? And uh, there's also the big new uh, election coming up in France, and they do it quickly. They just had their primary, their original round, and it's a a very clear choice in France. Uh, Some uh, Americans, some American conservatives may lean toward Marine Le Pen, who is the um, right-wing candidate. She's described as a far-right candidate. She's been uh, certainly closer to President Trump and much closer to President Putin. Does that have some kind of uh, impact on the United States, the way that election goes? We'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the current upsurge in truly sickening terror incidents in Israel. What is going on with that and what is going on with the so-called secret war between the wars, as they put it, with uh, some 400 Israeli attacks on Iranian resources, mostly in Syria. 400 attacks just in the last couple of years. We'll be speaking with the former Israeli ambassador to the United States, Michael Oren, uh, coming up. We'll also be speaking to a former aide to President Trump who has gotten together with other former aides to President Trump And they're concerned about the fact that there are so many conservatives who are saying stupid things in support of Vladimir Putin. Why would that be uh, right? We will be speaking with uh, uh, that commentator who wrote a powerful piece in the Wall Street Journal today. Uh, We'll also be speaking with Ralph Peters about the whole direction of diplomacy in the world and is this uh, war in Ukraine going to end up with any kind of satisfactory conclusion Ralph Peters has been writing about Vladimir Putin and the dangers of Vladimir Putin for a long long time and then there's also a very powerful piece and it's a kind of thing that I think everybody knew instinctively but you haven't had too much proof of it before Uh, I'm talking about the link between homeless encampments and crime and how much it is right here in Seattle, how obvious it is that the bigger the homeless encampments, the more people who live there, the more dangerous crime, particularly violent crime that you have to experience. So what do we do? We will get to that issue as well on the Michael Medved Show, 1-800-955-1776. If you have anything to say about all of this, uh, first of all, let's just go to the new CBS poll and then this big piece in Politico based on a big series of polls that have been done by 
uh, people who actually track attitudes toward the economy and who say that they can see the trouble is coming. Uh, according to the uh, new poll, 68% of Americans say the country is heading on the wrong track. That's under Biden. Uh, they cite rampant inflation and gas prices that have been soaring. That, according to a new dire poll for uh, the White House. It shows a new poll finds most Americans think the country is on the wrong track. Asked about the state of the nation, 32% said we were headed in the right direction. 68% said the wrong way in a new morning consult poll. Uh, the uh, numbers are a troubling sign for Democrats and President Joe Biden. Uh, they report uh, headed into November's midterm election. Poll after poll has shown Americans' frustration with high prices and inflation. Numbers show they blame Biden and his administration. Biden, in a speech on Monday, blamed COVID and Putin for the invasion of Ukraine. Uh, okay, the, uh, the piece in Politico, which is even more devastating, says um, uh, the professionals who track American attitudes toward the economy say they can see the trouble coming. Angry voters slammed by higher prices and scarred by two years of fighting the pandemic are poised to punish Democrats in midterm elections, according to some of the leading experts in consumer sentiment and behavior. And with inflation persisting and Russia's war on Ukraine stoking uncertainty, there are indications that public sentiment is getting worse, not better, posing a growing threat to Democrats' already slim chances of holding on to Congress, they say. The uh, widely watched University of Michigan Consumer Confidence Survey recently touched its lowest level in almost 11 years. Think about that. Almost 11 years, you're going back to um, the, uh, the early days of the, Biden, uh, the uh, Obama administration. It's a long time. A survey by the Associated Press, NORC, National Opinion Research Center for Public Affairs Research, showed that almost 70% of Americans think the economy is in poor shape. And 81% of those in a poll released by CNBC see a recession coming this year. Gallup found the share of Americans citing inflation as the top issue is now at its highest level since the 1980s. Now, what's bizarre about all of this is what the Biden administration says, what are you talking about? We got a great economy. We've got a very high growth rate. The unemployment rate is below 4%. It's historically low. Canada just set a, um, a record in a decline in uh, unemployment with a very low. They have a higher unemployment rate than we do, but not much higher and moving in the right direction. Uh, clearly, there's a labor shortage right now. A lot of people are choosing not to work for whatever reason. And the fascinating thing is that if you ask people objectively what's most important in the economy, inflation or unemployment, most people say unemployment because, okay, one can adjust to inflation. It's, it's terrible. It costs money, but it hits everybody. And most people do have jobs, though, obviously, if you don't get a job or if you're unemployed, it's far more devastating to you than paying extra money for gas. The difficulty with the inflation, it seems to me, is that you have so many people 
who experience it directly. It's not an abstraction. It's something that everybody feels. Richard Curtin, who's a veteran economist who's run the University of Michigan Consumer Survey uh, since 1976, said the big run-up in gas and food and home prices has really caused great hardship for many households. And the Biden administration made a critical error in saying it would be transient and people should just tough it out. It wasn't transient. It isn't transient. A lot of people couldn't just tough it out. And it caused a big loss of confidence in uh, Joe Biden's policies. And look, uh, he could say, well, our policies have all been blocked by the Republicans in Congress. They can say all sorts of things. The difficulty is that the president of the United States has not inspired any confidence that he is on top of this. I think he's making a big mistake today. He's doing a big day on uh, the gun issue and the issue of ghost guns and appointing a new director to the uh, Bureau of uh, Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. And, okay, it's trying to change the subject. Basically, if Joe Biden actually wants his party to survive in Congress of the United States and with control of Congress, it's the economy, stupid. Uh, we will get to more on that. Uh, we'll also be talking with Michael Oren, former Israeli ambassador, about the explosion of recent terror incidents in Israel. How bad is it? We'll get to that and much more on The Medved Show. On the uh, Michael Medved show, President Trump did make a, a big decision politically. Uh, on the very hotly contested Pennsylvania primary. Pennsylvania has an open Senate seat because Pat Toomey, who's been just a terrific senator, and he's I think he's been one of the finest uh, people in the U.S. Senate for his couple of terms, and it's a shame that he's gone away, but he is. And uh, there's a furious primary on the Democratic side between a complete cuckoo uh, named John Fetterman, who is the lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania. I remember he's that guy around Groundhog Day. He was showing off because he wears shorts all the time. He's 6'8", and he's bald, and he has earrings and tattoos everywhere and a little beard, a goatee, uh, and shaved bald head. Yeah, you got the guy. Uh, and he's running on the Democratic side, and he's a kind of a Bernie bro, and he's running against a more moderate Democrat named Connor Lamb. You may remember he, he's from the western part of the state, more conservative part of the state. And then on the Republican side, they have a, a Bridgewater Associate CEO, David McCormick, who has become a pretty big supporter of Trump. And um, that um, President Trump did not endorse David McCormick, the uh former corporate head, he endorsed Dr. Mehmet Oz, the TV doctor. And uh, Trump announced it speaking at a rally in North Carolina. Isn't that interesting? Because it used to be for the first series of rallies that President Trump was doing after he left the White House, there was really a lot of attention people were waiting to see. 
Had you even heard about the Trump rally in North Carolina? I mean, was that something that was on your mind at all? In any event, Trump said that uh, women in particular are drawn to Dr. Oz uh, because of his medical advice and counsel. And he, his president said, I have seen this many times over the years. They know him, they believe in him, and they trust him. Likewise, he will do very well in Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, where other candidates will just not be accepted. I'm not sure what he means. Um, and uh, Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, also in the Pennsylvania Senate race, that's the Democrat uh, running ahead right now and the likely Democratic nominee and a beatable nominee, somebody who uh, either Dr. Oz or David McCormick, whoever wins the Republican uh, primary, should be able to beat. But uh, Fetterman uh, has been criticized by his rivals for a 2013 incident in which he confronted an unarmed black jogger with a gun. Black Pennsylvanians have bigger concerns. Many have felt overlooked by Democrats, apart from State Representative Malcolm Kenyatta, who has failed to gain as much traction as his white opponents. Uh, Malcolm Kenyatta is from a very famous Philadelphia uh, political family, Democratic political family, and he's also uh, openly gay. And uh, which might not be uh, an advantage in uh, the um, the more conservative parts of the state, but we will see that primary coming up. Uh, meanwhile, one of the things that's surprising about all these polls, and and I wonder if that's permanent or whether that changes back. I, what's I'm mentioning here is that particularly that new CBS poll today, uh, by far people think inflation is the biggest issue in the country. And they think it's a bigger issue than the war in Ukraine. And, and that's hard to imagine when you look at the levels of, of death and horror and the, the bombing of that train platform for people who were killed, I think the total is 57 now, who were killed by uh, a rocket that had written on it in Russian for the children. Uh, they're trying to highlight the fact that they are committing war crimes and atrocities. And in terms of the way that we live, in terms of the way the economy goes, in terms of the our availability to, to get various supply chain bugs hammered out, which impacts the way that Americans live our lives. I, I think everybody has been feeling that. The, the idea that the war is less important than inflation, again, inflation hits every single American. You feel it every time you get gas or every time you go to the market. And uh, that is a very, very big deal. And uh, what do you do about it? Uh, I, I, the one thing is, what do you do about the war? And the one thing we have to do is be more like Boris Johnson and uh, a little bit less like uh, Joe Biden. Uh, Boris Johnson went to Kiev. And uh, you probably saw some of the imagery of him walking with President Zelensky. Uh, the prime minister is uh, uh, a bigger guy, and it was pretty bold. 
And uh, there he was in Kiev, and he had this to say about uh, the Ukrainians who he is trying to support unequivocally, and God bless him for that. Uh, this is Prime Minister Britain, uh, Boris Johnson, clip three. I was uh, here just a, a few weeks ago, and, and we were in another room, I think, in, in, your, in your palace. Uh, the defense intelligence that we had suggested that the Russians believed that Ukraine could be engulfed in a matter of days, and that Kiev would fall in hours uh, to, their, uh, to their armies, and how wrong they were. And I think that uh, the Ukrainians have shown the courage of a lion, but you, Volodymyr, have given the roar of that lion. And I thank you for what you've been able uh, to do. I think your leadership has been extraordinary. It's a wonderful thing. Uh, and it is, it is uh, moving. Um, and the, the, the imagery of the two leaders, uh, the leader of the United Kingdom and the leader of the nation of Ukraine, uh, showing them walking down the street. They're not surrounded by guards. They're walking down the street in uh, unconquered Kiev. And... Uh, they're both looking determined. And, and by the way, Boris, both men are great admirers of Winston Churchill. Boris Johnson has written a couple of books about Churchill, and he's a, uh, very much obsessed. And I think that he's trying to see if some of, of Vladimir's uh, Churchillian qualities uh, could uh, rub off. And certainly that's also needed elsewhere in the world. In, in the Middle East right now, the uh, new government of Israel, which is the first non-BB Netanyahu government in, in many, many years, that government is struggling with an upsurge in terrorism. And now people know it's about the, quote, holy month of Ramadan, but what else is causing that? And uh, what about the demanded change in Israel's current policy toward Palestinians, which means improving Palestinian lives, but not putting emphasis on negotiations. And on the Michael Medved Show, it's uh, an honor always to welcome another Michael, Dr. Michael Oren, uh, about the forthcoming Iran deal return, uh, the undeclared war between Iran and Israel, and the current wave of uh, terrorist incidents, thank God none of them appear to be coordinated, but it's all deeply worrying. Uh, Michael Oren served as Israel's ambassador to the United States for four very eventful years, uh, back um, mostly uh, during the Obama administration. And as ambassador, he was instrumental in securing U.S. support for Israel's defense and upholding Israel's light rights to security and peace and uh, um, Michael I um, I'm very very glad to be speaking to you at a time when there are so many questions the first one would be have are people generally aware of this uh, very serious undeclared war between Israel and Iran and the strikes back and forth that are going on so constantly 
Uh, first of all, it's always great to be with you, Michael. Thank you for having me on. Uh, yeah, Israelis aware of it. Our, our, our armed forces, the Israel Defense Forces, are operating pretty much nightly uh, against Iranian targets uh, in Syria. The Iranians are trying to transform Syria into a, a battle state against us, to drag Syria into war against us, and we are determined to preventing that. Uh, Iran is also the, the world's largest state sponsor of terror, and they sponsor terrorist attacks against us. Uh, they back Hamas, they back Hezbollah, they back Islamic Jihad, um, all of which are determined to destroy this country. So we're, we're profoundly aware uh, of the Iranian threat. But uh, the nature of these attacks, what have been the targets? I, I know the Wall Street Journal covered today uh, that there have been 400 attacks, and I think that was confirmed by the defense minister, Benny Gantz. Um, what, uh, what are the targets that are being hit? Uh, Israeli civilians. They're about to kill. And uh, it, it's the month of Ramadan, and there's a lot of radicalization going on. Most of these are lone wolf attacks, as you said earlier, they're, they're not coordinated, which makes them very difficult to prevent, as long as there's a big structure that's supporting these attacks. Um, and we've had periodic, uh, and, uh, and we deal with them. And it, it, 400 attacks haven't occurred, Michael. Our security forces, forces have foiled 400 attacks. We've had three major attacks in the last week, uh, week um, all told about uh, 14 Israelis have been killed. Uh, one of them was killed from the house, quite a, a loud firefight at 5.30 in the morning. Um, and, you know, we, we defend ourselves, we defend our country the best we can against um, Islamic radical terrorists, which they are. And what one of the things that struck me, and it occurred right after that meeting uh, with Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and the foreign ministers of Egypt and Morocco and Bahrain and the United Arab Emirates, uh, the uh, there was one of those attacks, and it was denounced by pretty much everybody in the Arab world uh, who had something to say about it. Uh, and including uh, people in the Palestinian Authority. Uh, of course, Hamas described even this, these murders of civilians and stabbing people and ramming them with cars and shooting them at random in bars. That's been described by Hamas as a uh, heroic uh, operation. But mm -hmm. other than Hamas, has it been surprising at all that the Palestinian Authority, the Palestinian... Um, Muslims who are part of the Israeli cabinet right now all condemned the random terror attacks. Yeah, well, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, was pressured in condemning it. That was widely reported uh, in the Israeli press. Uh, but it was extraordinary that the, the four uh, Arab prime ministers who uh, convened in the summit in the Negev uh, two weeks ago uh, all came out and condemned it. Um, the Secretary of State, uh, Tony Blinken, also condemned it. He mentioned in the same breath what he called settler violence, which uh, didn't play as well here, type of sort of a moral equivalency right. moment, which no one appreciated. Um, it, um, you know, it, 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 it is important. It's a, it's a watershed. Um, now, having said that, you know, in the town of Janine, which was the, uh, the hometown of the terrorists who struck in Tel Aviv the other night, there were celebrations over the fact that he killed uh, three uh, innocent Israelis, including his his father, who gave a big speech uh, praising his son for being a martyr. 
Now, does that father get paid by Hamas or something like that? Well, the worst cutback is they get paid by the Palestinian Authority. They have a, a pay-for-slay um, policy that if you uh, are killed in the process of killing Israeli civilians, the Palestinian Authority will pay your family uh, a stipend. Uh, if you get to prison, not only will they pay you a stipend in prison, but they'll build a house for you if you never come out um, and put away and put away savings for you. And the United States government, certainly under the Trump administration, was very adamant in cutting off uh, aid to the Palestinian Authority as long as they were supporting terror uh, with that money. Uh, part of that funding has been, um, has been resumed by the Biden administration with the caveat that that money will, should not go for pay for slay. But, you know, it's very difficult to keep track of this money. You know, you give the Palestinian Authority $10 million, go, go figure out whether $9 million of that is not going to, to pay for terrorists in jail. Um, this is simply, you know, terrorism for pay, and it's got to stop. Something else that uh, some people are saying has to start, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal reported by a number of Wall Street Journal reporters about uh, Israel, at least people raising questions about changing the current policy toward Palestinians and returning to the idea of uh, urgent negotiations rather than simply trying to cooperate with Palestinians where you can to avoid terror and to make the details of daily life a little bit better. Uh, do, you, do you believe that there will be a push coming up for renewed negotiation? I don't. I don't for, for two very cardinal reasons. One, there's no Palestinian uh, interlocutor right now. Uh, Mahmoud Abbas, the president of the Palestinian Authority, is in his mid-80s. Uh, he's a three-pack-a-day guy. He's in and out of hospitals. Um, it's not clear who's actually running the Palestinian Authority in that way. Um, and there's going to be a huge battle for succession because he actually hasn't appointed a uh, successor. Um, and I think everyone's going to have to wait and see who's actually going to lead the Palestinians in the future. On our side, uh, our government is in crisis. Um, right now, there's an impossible situation in Knesset. Up to 120 members of the Knesset, 60 are in the opposition, 60 are in the coalition. That's a prescription for total paralysis. And Israel may be heading to elections. So the, just the, the, the basic wherewithal of a peace process does not exist right now, either on the Palestinian side or on the Israeli side. And, uh, and the elections would see, uh, I mean, right now, the former prime minister is leader of the opposition formally, right? And by far the most popular politician in Israel. But in the past, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, has had not been able to put together a, a coalition uh, not because he lacks sort of ideological allies, but because he, there are a lot of people who have had you know, some personal uh, dealings with him that have been unsuccessful. Let's say that at the euphemism. But um, and so there are heads of right-wing parties like uh, Naftali Bennett, like like Gideon Saar, who simply won't sit in, the, in, in government run by Benjamin Netanyahu, and that's that's his big that is a big handicap. Um, I personally think if we go to elections, the exam, the the result will again be sort of a stalemate. And remember, we had a number of elections over the course of 2019, 2021. And um, I, I fear that that's because Israel is facing you know, huge challenges. You, you've mentioned the Iran deal. You've mentioned terror. There's also the Ukraine situation, uh, which 
poses multiple challenges to the state of Israel. Can, can you uh, hang on for a moment? Can, Mike, Michael, can you hang on for a moment? And I would sure. like very much to continue to, and to talk about that Ukraine situation and Israel. Uh, with Michael Oren, uh, a great scholar, great writer. He has a new upcoming book called The Swan's War. We'll find out about that, too, on The Medved Show. few minutes more with Dr. Michael Oren, uh, and uh, Michael was a remarkably effective ambassador from Israel to the United States, uh, also is a preeminent scholar. His book uh, about the Six-Day War, his book about the long history of American Association, an American Christian Association with the State of Israel, with the Holy Land, before there was a State of Israel. Uh, that that book is remarkable, and there's a new book which is a um, uh, a novel, I believe. It's called Swan's War. Oh, just a moment. What's what's the book's focus? No, it's Swan's War is a, is a departure for me. I, I do I do write fiction as well as nonfiction. Uh, I had two books published last year. It was a collection of short stories called The Night Archer, uh, a novel mm -hmm. uh, to all who call in truth, which was set in a a suburban Jewish community in, in 1972. This is the Swan's War's departure for me. It's about um, it's about Mary Beth Swan, an, an Irish uh, Boston cop who marries a the police captain of a small Massachusetts island um, here during in 1944, and uh, her husband goes off to war and leaves her basically as the captain of this island, and she has to all of a sudden deal with a serial killer. So it's it's a very different type of book. It's a whodunit. Historical novel set in World War II. Congratulations. I don't know how you managed to be so productive. But speaking of productive, uh, right now, Israel keeps coming up as one of those countries that would be potentially providing a security guarantee. Apparently, President Zelensky of, uh, of Ukraine wants Israel to be part of that process. And yet, there are a lot of people. And a lot of people here in the States who are sort of um, surprised at the uh, uh, the Israeli attempt to keep relations with both sides, not to be too uh, dramatically on in favor of the Ukrainians who are fighting for their nation's very existence. How do you uh, feel and how do you explain uh, Israel trying to walk down the middle of the aisle here? Well, I'm going to put my cards on the table, Michael. From the very outset of this conflict, I have been critical of Israel's position. Um, I understand it. Uh, there's a great reluctance to uh, get into a a, 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 a fractions relationship with the Russian troops who are in Syria. Remember, we mentioned earlier that our, our forces have to operate in Syria against Iranian targets. There are about 4,000 Soviet troops, Soviet troops, good Russian troops in uh, in Syria. Uh, several dozen warplanes, and we need to coordinate with the Russians in order to strike at Iran and Syria. Um, there is concern for the fate of 800,000 uh, Russian Jews, 200,000 Ukrainian Jews, and there's this great cultural uh, affinity. About between one out of every seven, one out of every five Israelis speak Russian, and we've always had very close relations and open relations with Putin, even though he sells some of the world's most dangerous weapons to some of our worst enemies. And votes against us in the UN. But when I was in Washington, 
um, White House officials were already being asking, asking me, what does Putin think? Because we always had better relationship with Putin than, than the White House did. Now, that's what the government says. I, I take issue with it, very strong issue with it. First of all, on diplomatic uh, level, um, we have to keep our eye on the ball. And the eye of the ball is the Iran nuclear deal. And we have friends, and we've been criticized by some of our best friends in the Senate, like Lindsey Graham, uh, because of our neutrality. And, and what are we getting for being neutral? Nothing, really. Um, Israel is not playing a key role. Key roles are being played by Turkey, by France. Um, and so the picture of our prime minister being the only democratically elected pro-Western governor, uh, govern, uh, the official just to shake hands with, with Vladimir Putin, who's a war criminal, uh, is not, I think, redounding to our benefit. But there's also a moral issue. We're not just any state. We are the Jewish and democratic state. And for the Jewish and democratic state to sit by idly while a fellow democracy is fighting for its freedom, and often with Molotov cocktails and, and small arms, and it's a, it's a resistance that's being led by a proud pro-Israel Jew, Vladimir uh, Zelensky, I think that's, 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 not, that's not sustainable. I don't think it's, it's, uh, it can accord with our, with our identity as this Jewish and democratic state. Uh, listen, that's about actually refreshing to hear. Uh, my, my brother... Uh, who I know you know. Uh, I had dinner with you Well, terrific. <laughs> See, this is Chaverim uh, Kol Yisrael. We're all we're all connected. But um, yeah. the uh, uh, the point that I I was going to make is that there does appear to be strong public opinion support. Is there not? I mean, there's not a lot of uh, pro-Putin sentiment in Israel. No, uh, what there is 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 sort of a. a a national memory of Ukraine being the, you know, what we learned the most anti-Semitic states in Europe, uh, Ukraine, SS, collaboration with the Nazis, going back, you know, to the 15th century, great massacres of Jews there. Uh, my own grandparents fled the Ukraine, fled the pogroms. They told me the story about the, the Cossacks coming through their, their shtetl. So, you know, just that memory. Uh, but I think it's not just about what Ukraine is, it's also about who we are. And we have to look ourselves in the mirror say, we aren't, you know, we're not just any state. Uh, there's a reason why we're here and in this land, and we have created this state, and we have to live up to those ideals, I strongly believe. I am, um, again, I'm, I'm very relieved to hear that. What, what about working with the, uh, the Biden administration, maybe to stop this headlong rush to reestablish a terrible deal with Iran that would help facilitate their nuclear program? What's that? Well, it has us baffled, to tell you the truth. Um, you know, the original Iran nuclear deal of 2015 was, was sort of based on three assumptions. One, that the Iranians, if they were properly engaged, would become, quote-unquote, a reasonable regional power. The second was that the deal would somehow block Iran's path to the bomb. And the third was, you know, rather cynically, we can kick the can down the road and let some other administration deal with this. Of the three, there's only one that really remains. No one believes that Iran's ever going to be a responsible regional power. Nobody in the Biden administration believes that. Nobody believes that the deal is going to block Iran's path to the bomb. Even uh, Tony Blinken says it'll block the path to the bomb in the short run, but not in the long run. So there's only one reason to make this deal right now, and then it's kick the can down the road, which is precisely what it does. It, Iran gets paid several hundred billion dollars to delay its nuclear program about four or five years. That's, what, that's all this deal is. 
And with those hundreds of billions of dollars, the Iranians are not going to spend that money on schools and hospitals. They're going to spend it on terror and on missiles that are designed to destroy us. But for Israel's perspective, this makes no sense at all. And you mentioned the summit meeting that we had uh, two weeks ago uh, with the four Arab uh, foreign ministers, and, and Secretary Blinken showed up. And I have very high regard for him. I know him quite well. But it was kind of a bizarre thing of the Secretary of State of the United States coming to Israel to show solidarity with America's Middle East allies that America was going to betray uh, with this agreement. <laughs> you, you must admit, it was very strange. Um, so you know, we have to prepare ourselves. And at the end of the day, we have these wonderful relationships with these Arab countries. But at the end of the day, Michael, this is going to have to defend itself. Which... Um uh, which does mean, uh, we were talking before about the sort of uh, undeclared war in Syria. Uh, have you been hitting uh, militia targets? Uh, is there, But uh, there appears to be some fairly sophisticated weapons that they're trying to install in Syria. What they're trying to do is establish military presence there in order to drag into a war. But they're also trying to provide advanced missiles uh, into the hands of Hezbollah. Hezbollah has between 130 and 150,000 rockets. Most of them are positioned underneath about 200 villages in southern Lebanon. And if war breaks out, our army is going to have to go village to village and house to house. But most of those rockets are what's called stand-up rockets. They go up in the air and they come down. And we have Iron Dome that can take out about 90% of them. What the Iranians are trying to do is put cruise missiles into the hands of Hezbollah. These are missiles that are guided by joysticks. And Israel will be hard-pressed to defend itself against those missiles. We have a system that we've developed with the United States called David's Sling, uh, which has not been proven in combat, and every interceptor costs about a billion dollars. And the Iranians know this. So many of our military operations are designed to um, interdict that supply line of advanced weaponry from Iran into the hands of Hezbollah. I appreciate the background. It's all tremendously important, and I would uh, urge folks to uh, not only keep an eye out for um, uh, for Swan's War, which is an upcoming novel, which apparently has nothing to do with the Middle East, and uh, and then all the most recent commentary and material from former Ambassador um, Michael Oren. Uh, and you can find that at michaelmedved.com. Uh, coming back, there's a strong member of the MAGA team, someone who served in the Trump administration, has been a very big defender of President Trump, but uh, who says he is troubled, very worried about a lot of the prominent people around Trump who uh, have been pro-Putin and uh, not at all showing the kind of support for Ukraine that Michael Oren was just talking about. We'll be uh, speaking to Jeffrey Shapiro coming up in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.